Let this be our prayer for our neighborhoods, for our nations. For the world, 
Привіт і добре ранок, my Westgate Chapel family. Uh, my name is Josh Cook, greeting you from Maidan Square in Kyiv, Ukraine. If you didn't know, I grew up at Westgate Chapel, and two years ago, before the war started, you sent me here to Ukraine as an intern. I'm now here ministering to those both in Kyiv as well as on the front lines of the war. I am praying you have a wonderful missions week. It is always my favorite week of the year at Westgate, and I'm sad I'm missing it, but very happy to be in Ukraine. Blessings. Stand and worship together.
Westgate Chapel. My name is Julianne. I get to work here doing outreach and missions. Best job ever. And um, it's just really special that we get to worship through song and prayer and listening to stories today. And so we're excited that you have chosen to worship here with us. It is a special week, Missions Emphasis Week. All year round, our vision mission at Westgate Chapel is that we want to grow with Jesus personally. We want to engage um, with one another in community and uh, iron sharpens iron. And then also we want to reach our neighbors and the nations, which is perfect with that light shine image as last year or last week, one week ago, we were talking about, um, or this week, the vision series, talking about uh, letting our light shine to the people in our circles, neighboring. We have our board and map out in the main entrance. You can continue to um, put the little dots up on our prayer map as well as take a light bulb to say we are the light of the world. And we have an opportunity to uh, really focus in on being a light to the nations, reaching our neighbors and the nations this week. Again, it's part of who we are every week, every day here at Westgate Chapel as there's so many passage in, patches, passages in the Bible that talk about um, the Jesus died for Jews and Gentiles. The good news of Jesus, life, death, and resurrection is for all. The Great Commission, the Great Commandment, we all get to be part of it uh, back in the early church and today. And um, 
And then we have one week of the year, Missions Emphasis Week. You guys are here. We've made it. We're so excited to just really spend one week leaning in. And so at the end of this week, you might say, wow, that's a lot of stuff. But we kind of treat it like it's a mission trip that we're doing together, right? There are extra opportunities. You might not get your laundry done. You might eat a lot of meals at church. But that's okay because we love leaning in to spend this week really doing things together, side by side, engaging community, growing with Jesus, and really asking. God, how can we reach our neighbors in the nation? So we are excited that you are here to kick off this, this Missions Emphasis Week. It is this week through next Sunday. As you guys may have seen, we have our global tea house set up here out in the W Cafe. We'll be all week in different opportunities to eat meals together. There's a brochure. If, um, it's also available on the, web, on the app and on westgatechapel.org events with just different on-ramps to really lean in. So we are praying that you guys will join us this Missions Emphasis Week. Um, it's for you if this is your first time here or if you've been here for 40 years, which I know some of you have been. Um, another piece just on how we work around here is that we have sermon notes today. You'll be hearing stories, so there's not fill in the blanks, but those are available on our app. And then we also have a connect card, and so that is in your front pew. Um, there's a physical card. You can do this online as well. And that is a way for us to gather your prayer requests or your um, information you might be looking for the church, you can drop it in the offering. Um, or if you're a guest, we would love for you to take that card and meet uh, someone in our main entrance. We have a guest center, a small gift, where we have um, the opportunity to yeah, answer any questions and just make sure you feel connected and have what you need to know. So we have our sermon notes, our connect card, missions emphasis week. Um, again, there's a women's event tonight. A men's chili cook-off on Saturday. It's going to be awesome. There's this big event on Wednesday evening. We'd love for you to all put in your phone calendar right now. It is for everybody, all ages, old, young, uh, new to Westgate, been here for 40 years. It is an opportunity for us to really uh, grow in discipleship of praying for missions. Sometimes we hear, oh, we need to pray for missions, but do we know what we're supposed to be or like different ways to pray. And so we have created many different experiences to help us uh, learn how to pray, what to pray for, the persecuted church, pray with our people, Luke and Maddie, Paul and Lydia, um, the Bergevins will be here, and um, also learning creative ways to uh, engage with, uh, yeah, just different peoples around the world who need prayer, access for all. So Wednesday is going to be fun. Um, and so we just pray that you guys will make space this week to be part of our Missions Emphasis Week. So we're going to just celebrate this morning um, with worship. You'll hear from our international workers that are here, Steve and Christy. Um, they are kind of on their homecoming and uh, just lots of opportunities. So with that, we're going to go to a time of uh, meeting someone here, and we would love for you to ask the question, have you ever been to a church service in a different culture, whether in the United States or in another country, and what was it like? So if you'll stand up and meet somebody.
Let's continue to worship, won't we? Giants fall, fear cannot survive when we pray. 
praise to the Lord this morning. You may be seated. You know, as we uh, begin our Missions Emphasis Week, the theme uh, that we're going with is a theme that was chosen by our denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance, entitled To the Hard Places. And when we talk about going to the hard places, we're talking about going to places where we reach what is called unreached peoples. Now, when we're talking about unreached peoples, we're not just talking about the person next door who doesn't know Jesus, but we're talking about people that have little to no access to the gospel. And statistics show, as we talked about last week, that in the world today, there are over 3 billion people represented by 4,000 people groups who have little to no access to the gospel. Now, when you think about that and we talk about reaching the unreached and going to the hard places, that seems like an incredibly daunting task. But here's the deal. It's not daunting when God's people join together and have a collective heart for reaching the world with the gospel, where we don't just get caught up in maybe what the church can do for us, but we really align our hearts to the heart of Christ and to the heart of God to see people all around this world have the opportunity to hear of the good news of Jesus Christ. One of the one things that I really love about Westgate Chapel is that for the history of this church, its heartbeat has been to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. And I love how vibrantly that is alive in our church even still today. This church gives some uh, $350,000 to $400,000 a year to the Great Commission Fund. Every time that you give an offering, some of that those resources go directly to supporting our international workers all around the world. And there's a growing heartbeat of people that are growing passionate in this church about global missions, even praying and considering their next steps. And this morning, I want to encourage you as we move into this week together to prayerfully ask God, as we talked about last week, how he might possibly ask you to be involved in his global movement of making sure that the world knows and hears about his son, Jesus Christ. So this morning, Before we continue in our service, we're going to take our offering. And uh, before we do so, I just want to pause and pray and give thanks to the Lord, recognizing that as we take our offering this morning, it is an opportunity for us to continue in worship of the Lord, but to be reminded that when we give, that what we are doing is giving back what God has already given to us and prayerfully asking that he would take it and multiply it to reach more people in this community, but also throughout the world with the saving knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ. So would you join me in prayer? God, we thank you for this morning and the opportunity that we have to, again, gather here together and to worship you freely. Father, it is a blessing that we too often take for granted recognizing that there are people all around the world that do not experience that same freedom. To think that there are billions of people who have no access to the good news of your son. Father, I pray that you would put within our hearts a passion and a desire to understand the call that you have put on our life to go and to share that good news, not out of compulsion, but out of our love for you and who you are and what you have done for us. And so, Father, I pray that this week especially, this morning, that you would develop within each of us a missional heart to reach lost people in our community, but also to understand the call you have put on us as individuals to reach the world with the gospel. 
as we give back to you in our offerings, Father, thank you for your provision. Thank you for the way that you have blessed us. And we give back to you as an act of worship and ask that you would multiply these offerings in the lives of many people throughout this world, that they would come to know your son, Jesus Christ. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Good morning, church family. As many of you know, today is the kickoff of our week-long Missions Emphasis Week. We're going to be spending the week with a couple of our longtime international workers that were sent out from Westgate many number of years ago and who have been at work sharing the gospel all around the world in many hard places. Now, you might notice that I'm not using their names or talking about the specific countries that they've been in because the hard places that they have been ministering in are places where the gospel is not easily shared and we don't want to hinder the work that is going on there. However, we have many opportunities to connect with our international workers this week. Let me tell you about a few ways. This evening here at the church from 6 p.m. to 7.30, we will be hosting a women's dessert night with tea and varying different desserts. All ages are welcome to join us and you won't wanna miss this opportunity to hear about what God is doing around the world in these hard places. Next, Wednesday evening is our interactive missions prayer event where the whole church is invited to come and learn creatively about the many hard places our international workers are serving and learn how to specifically pray for them. The night will begin in the atrium with all sorts of food from around the globe and a whole lot of interactive opportunities. So please plan on joining us this Wednesday, all ages from 6 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. Lastly, Coming this Saturday evening, we're going to be having a men's event full of food, which includes a chili cook-off, games, fun, and an opportunity to also hear from our international workers. Now this morning, we'll be interviewing our international workers live on the platform. However, we can't live stream that conversation as we'll be talking openly about things that are happening and how God is moving in a number of creative access countries around the world. But the message that we do have for you this morning comes from our Christian Missionary Alliance National Council, where pastors from all over our denomination gathered this past summer in Spokane, Washington. It is a challenging message and one that I am positive the Lord will use to move your heart closer to his mission in reaching the world with the gospel. It is my privilege to be with you this evening and share a few words. This is a task that I don't take lightly, but I consider it a great honor and privilege. And I trust that the Lord will use the few words that I have with you this evening to encourage you. Thank you, John, for trusting a Lebanese guy with the mic. <laughs> under, under the theme of expectant, I've been asked to focus on Jesus Christ, the Son. Now, I find this topic very intriguing because in my ministry, among the diaspora, the Muslim diaspora in Europe, there is the Muslim immigrants and refugees who have moved to live and work in Europe. I am constantly dealing with people who follow the Islamic faith. They claim to believe in Jesus, but that type of faith does not produce in them any change or any hope. There are many examples that I can give you, but one particular example comes from my barber, Muhammad. Muhammad is a pharisaical type of Muslim. I pray, I fast, I give, I feel good about myself. Now I've shared with him on multiple occasions, but he did not seem to be open to the gospel. 
But on one particular time when I was there getting a haircut, and while he's cutting my hair, he noticed that he has a white hair sticking out of his head. So he went to the mirror to pluck it out, and as he was doing that, I looked at him and I said, you are getting old. So <laughs> he looked at me and he said, why do Christians like to look young? I said, well, I don't know if this has to do anything with being Christian. Everybody wants to look young. He said, well, for us Muslims, life expectancy is about 60 years. What is it for you? I said, well, maybe 10, 20 years more, but what's that in light of eternity? You need to be thinking about that. Well, he looked at me and he says, Alhamdulillah, I have Muhammad who will intercede for me. How about you? I said, well, you know, we talked about this. I believe in Jesus. He said, yeah, well, I believe in Jesus as well. I believe in all the prophets. I said, that's true. According to what I know about Islam, Islam believes in 124,000 prophets. He nodded his head. I said, well, let me ask you a question. Out of these 124,000 prophets, how many of them are alive? Well, he looked at me and he says, alive? I said, yeah, for me, I feel like I need an intercessor every day. And if I were to pick one, I want to make sure that they are alive, at least. You're not going to hire a dead person to cut hair. So all this time we've been talking, well, he actually with his clipper working on my head, you know. So when I asked him this question, it goes like this. He stopped and he started thinking. After a few moments, he said, well, I can only think of one. I said, okay, which one? He said, Isa. I said, yeah, that's great. That's Jesus. He knows the way to God. That's why I picked him. Now you pick yours. <laughs> he said, you're distracting me. <laughs> few moments go by. I'm quiet. He's quiet. And then again, he leans forward and he says, are you sure? I said, sure about what? He said, Jesus. I said, yes, of course I'm sure. Okay. You know, he finished cutting my hair and now it was time for him to trim my sideburns and clean my neck. So he comes and stands behind me and he opens, what do you call it? His cutthroat. And he's standing behind me. And I could see him on the mirror that's in front of me. And he stands behind me like this with his cut's throat. He said, I have a question to ask you. Is Jesus the son of God or is he the son of Mary? I said, well, can you finish cutting my hair and then we can talk about this. <laughs> yeah, you think it's funny. <laughs> the story actually has a good ending. It's a long story, but it has a good ending. He ended up receiving a copy of the Injil of the New Testament and he started reading it. But I shared the story with you to say that, yes, you can believe in Jesus, but that type of faith does not always produce change in you. It is important to not only believe in Jesus, but have the right understanding of who he is and hold on to that truth of who Jesus is. The disciples of Jesus wrestled with this. They had hard time understanding the identity of Jesus and the mission of Jesus. Who is he? And what did he come to do? And the reason for that is they expected or they waited for a different type of Messiah. <laughs> they waited for a militia type of Messiah, if you want. Somebody who would come and defeat the enemies. Someone who would restore the kingdom. So although they followed Jesus, they listened to his teachings and they saw him perform miracles, 
yet they still doubted the true identity. They missed the true identity of Jesus. And oftentimes they wanted to push their own agendas on him. Now we might think of these as extreme examples and be tempted to dismiss them. Or we think of ourselves as better than them. But what surprised me is is that people who are so close to Jesus, like you or me or the disciples, can find themselves in situations where they miss the true identity of Jesus. They misunderstand Jesus. Or they think they figured him all out. They've learned everything there is to learn about him. And for us who are in ministry, there's a great danger when we get so comfortable with Jesus that he becomes commonplace. So I'd like to encourage all of us this evening to continue to grow in our understanding of who Jesus is and what is the mission that he has given us. Paul writes toward the end of his life to the Philippians, he says, I want to know Jesus. And I wish I can ask Paul, say, Paul, don't you already know him? You've talked about Jesus all over the empire. You wrote half the New Testament. Don't you know Jesus? And maybe Paul would say, yes, I do, but I want to know him more. So if I may borrow a few words from the book of Hebrews this evening, and I say, holy brothers and sisters, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider thoughtfully and carefully the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. The passage that I was led to read with you this evening comes from the book of John, chapter 20. The words will be on the screen. You can follow me. John, chapter 20. Read from verse 19. God's word said, So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. The disciples of Jesus found themselves in a hopeless situation. And as they sat in that room, they had zero anticipation. Jesus, the Messiah, is dead. The Messiah who came to save us is dead. He's not ill. He's not in prison, but he's in the grave. Have you been in hopeless situations? Have you been in a difficult situation? Maybe if you've been in ministry for more than a week, your answer is yes. (laughs) Ministry is difficult. I've been serving on the field now for 15 years. We started with one unit, my wife and I. I was the team leader. She was the other team member. And over the years, we saw about 40, 50 workers come and join the field. And when they come, 
they are full of energy. I love it when they come, full of enthusiasm. You know, they hit the ground running and they are just showing up to all the meetings. They have wonderful plans and they just, you know, wondering if we have enough water to baptize all the people who are going to come to know Jesus. I love it, full of energy. But then as time goes by and reality sets in, six months into it, when you get to the subjunctive, <laughs> then you start to wrestle. <laughs> expectations begin to erode. You realize that life on the ground is different than what you expected. By the end of the first year, they're dragging their feet. They're showing up late to the meetings. They're calling in sick. And now they're asking different questions. They're asking, how can we make it? Will we make it? And by God's grace, they do make it. But I share this to say that ministry is hard. And for you as pastors, you don't have it any easier. In fact, when I come and visit your churches and hear about all the challenges and the conflicts that you have to deal with on different fronts, political, social, economical, spiritual, I don't envy you. In fact, when I leave your church and I get, get in the car, the first thing I think about is these pastors are nuts. <laughs> They're crazy. I don't know how you can keep on going. Living as a Christian is hard. If you are trying to live an honest, godly, and obedient life to the Lord, it is hard. It seems that you are constantly dealing with situations that you never thought you'll be dealing with when you signed up to follow Jesus. And these hardships have the potential to erode hope. You start losing that sense of expectation. I know many of you are going through hard situations. Many of you are asking this question, you know, will this battle ever end? Will my ministry ever flourish? Some of you are asking, will my kids follow the Lord? Or will my marriage ever thrive? Will my vision come to fruition? Or will my team be healthy? Or will this conflict ever be resolved? Will I be able to raise 45%? I put that there for the missionaries. <laughs> We ask a lot of these questions, and when we think we figured it all out, then we get COVID. What? You know, I had wonderful plans laid out for my ministry for the next several years, and then COVID hit, and in a few days, it all vanished. And now I had to figure out how to go to the grocery store and come back home safely. <laughs> there are many setbacks in life. Life is brutal. We get hammered again and again. We get to the point of disappointment, discouragement. We retreat. We become scared. We lose hope. This is the situation that the disciples found themselves in, in John chapter 20. They shut themselves in the room and they closed the door. Oftentimes we pray for open doors, like Paul asked the Colossians to pray for open doors to proclaim the gospel. But also in ministry, there are doors that get shut from the inside. And this is one of them. You often wonder what was going on in their mind. What were they thinking? I think the two disciples to Emmaus summarized what was going on in their mind. They said, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to save us. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to save us, but he's dead. And it's been three days. He's really dead. I've been there, not with the disciples, but I've been in that room with the door closed. 
Maybe you have been there. Maybe you are there. Maybe your church is there. Maybe your team is there. Or maybe your district is there. Now what happens when we close the doors? Let me tell you. When we close the doors, our world becomes small. All what we see is what's right there in front of us. Our eyes become weak and tired. It begins to affect our vision. We begin to lose perspective of what God wants to do. We stop dreaming for Jesus. I've been a lot in the elevator this week, and I've been thinking, I've never got inspired in an elevator. <laughs> never. I need to be out there, looking far out there. But here they are in this room with the door closed. Luke said they were frightened and terrified. But hallelujah, the story does not end there. This is not the end of the story because in the midst of their fear, Jesus appears to them. Actually, Jesus enters into the room. The doors that are closed will not stop him. There's nothing that can stand in his way. He can break through whatever situation that you are in. There are no boundaries to what he can do. He comes to the disciples and he stands in the midst and he said, peace be with you. And he had to repeat it several times because they were so frightened. Alliance family, peace be with you. Christ is in your midst. His presence is what brings peace despite all the circumstances. And then what he did next is just so beautiful. You know, John said he showed them his hands and his side. And I often wondered why does John not say his hands and his feet? <laughs> but as many commentators would agree on, you know, there are two others with Jesus that were crucified with Jesus. They both had, had their hands and their feet pierced, but there's only one who got his side pierced, and that is Jesus. And make no mistake, he's the one that's standing right there in front of them. You know, a few nights before this event, Jesus took the bread, and he broke it, and he says, this is my body broken for you. That's what we just remembered this evening and celebrated. But now, he is showing them his body that was broken for them. He's showing them the body that carried their sins. And I think he's showing them his body to tell them that the job has been done. Death has been defeated. Satan is defeated. The veil is torn open, and now they have full access to the throne of God. They are under a new covenant that was made with his blood. They are a new creation. They have been made new. Friends, this is what gives us hope. This is why we can't be expectant. It's not because of our accomplishments. It's not because of our positions. It's not because of our titles. It's not because of what we have done, but it's because of what he has done. Our identity is rooted in the completed work of Christ on the cross. Maybe you know this, but I need to be reminded of it every once in a while. Because oftentimes, what I do becomes who I am. A few years ago, it was time for us to go on home assignment. And prior to go on home assignment, I was the team leader of one of the most diverse teams in the Alliance at that time. 
My wife and I started from scratch and grew to about 13 people from eight different backgrounds. We saw some people come from the Muslim background and put their faith in Jesus, and we baptized them. We started a house church. I was pastoring that house church. We started an association. I was also running. I was the president of that association, and I was serving on several regional and interdenominational networks. I was proud about all my accomplishments. And then I had to leave it all and go to the United States. I was not happy about that. And it was our first Sunday when we got to the States, we decided to go visit a local Alliance church. We didn't have any speaking engagements, so we decided to go there. We didn't know anybody there except for the pastor. He was not present that Sunday. And when we got to the church, there was a lady at the door who was greeting us. Super nice, big smile. And I could tell she's been trained in that. And she's trying, you know, to use these indirect, non-offensive questions <laughs> to try to figure out if this is our first time in the church. She's actually trying to figure out if we are believers, actually. <laughs> and for me, that sounded like somebody's asking if Paul or Silas are Christians. So I didn't like that. I decided I'm going to just play my missionary card. So I said to her, yeah, of course you haven't seen us around because we are missionaries in Spain. Well, it seemed like the only thing she heard is Spain. So she goes, hola. I said, hola to you. And then she proceeds to tell one of these stories. She said, my son went to Costa Rica this last summer. They were there for six days and they planted ten and a half churches. How many have you planted? Well, there goes my missionary card. <laughs> Donde está el baño? <laughs> well, next Sunday I was back to the same church. This time the pastor is there and he introduced me and it was time actually for me to preach and it's a good-sized church. If you like public speaking, the bigger the better. So I was there preaching, enjoying it and afterwards there was a line of people who came to say hi and shake my hands and it felt so good to be doing that. And as I'm shaking people's hands, I heard the soft voice that says, Martin, why are you so happy this Sunday, but last Sunday you were not? And that put me on a journey <laughs> of rediscovering who I am in Christ. And the Lord would come to me throughout this year and say, Martin, you are not the pastor, you are not the team leader, you are my son. This is who you are. The best title that you will ever have is a title that you already have. And I want you to rejoice in that, whether you're in Lebanon or in Spain or in the United States. You are my son. <laughs> Friends, you are God's son. You are God's daughter. And we can rejoice in this. This is why we can be expecting. It's not because of our titles or our accomplishments or our capacities, but because our new identity was made reality through his death and resurrection. And let me add this. You were called into the fellowship of his son. You're not invited to an event in Spokane or Spokane. <laughs> you come and you go, but you are invited into this eternal, intimate fellowship, koinonia, with his son. 
If this doesn't encourage you, I don't know what else does. He showed them his hands and his side, but there is more to the story. You know, one of the most important questions that we can be asking ourselves is, who am I? It's a question of identity. And Jesus answers that. But another important question that we can be asking ourselves is, what is my purpose? What is my mission in life? And Jesus proceeds to define that for the disciples. He said to them, as the Father sent me, I also send you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Friends, we have been given a mission that comes directly from Jesus Christ. We are not fulfilling our own mission, but we are fulfilling his mission. By the way, I'm not talking about missions, which refers to the particular task of taking the gospel overseas, crossing cultural boundaries or barriers, but I am talking about everything that the church does that points to God's kingdom. His mission, his purpose, his story. Jesus was sent to fulfill a beautiful chapter of that story, and now he brings us into that same narrative. So we no longer live to our own silly little stories. I went to school. I fell in love. I married. Got a few kids. Went to Paris. <laughs> Paid off my mortgage. Retired and died. No! <laughs> We're part of a mega story. We've been called to a higher purpose. You know, Jesus came to offer himself, his life as ransom for many. He came to provide salvation, but he also came to give life. And here in this passage, he's breathing the spirit into the disciples. This is an act of recreation. But unlike in Genesis, the gift here is not a human spirit, but it's the spirit of the living being, of the living God. Paul captured this beautifully. He says the first Adam became a living being and the second Adam became a life-giving spirit. Jesus came to offer salvation and he came to give life and get this, and now he sends us to proclaim that. We are not commissioned to carry our own work, but to carry Christ's work, not to start a new one, but to carry his work, his mission, his story. You know, when I'm trying to do my own work, when I'm trying to push my own plans, I find myself discouraged, find myself stressed, I find myself grumpy. When I'm doing his work, then I can have peace in my heart. And I can anticipate great things because I know he's the one behind it. In theological jargon, if God orders a pizza, he will pay for it. <laughs> if it's his work, he will care for it. Doesn't matter how difficult, challenging, or demanding. If it's his work, his mission, his plan, he will take care of it. Yes, I do my part, but I can have peace. And I can be expectant of great things. You know it's going to be a great pizza <laughs> if it's God who ordered it. On the first day of the week, Jesus entered that dark room of despair, fear, and lostness. And he filled it with the light of his presence. 
the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. He offers himself. He gives them identity, meaning, and purpose in life. 2,000 years later, he's still doing the same thing. He's still in the same business. And the best part of my work is I get to see him do this firsthand. A few years ago, we started the house church during the pandemic. What else would you do during pandemic, right? So we started this house church, small group of believers and seekers from Muslim background. And one day we were introduced to, we were told about this lady, I'm going to call her Miriam. Miriam is from a Muslim background from North Africa. She decided to follow Jesus through someone else's ministry, but she started having doubt, and little by little, she started taking steps back into Islam. And we were asked if we thought that this little house church we have would be a good place for her. We said yes, for sure. And my wife asked her to fix a Moroccan dish, using that as an excuse to invite her to come to our place. So she agreed to do that, and on Sunday there was a knock on the door, and I went to open the door, and there she was standing with this big plate of food. She said, I want to tell you two things. One, this week I decided to go back to Islam. And I could see she's wearing the head cover. She said, I'm doing my prayers. Two, she said, I'm, I'm here for only this Sunday. I'm never coming back again. <laughs> I said, well, welcome. She walks in, I welcomed, him, I welcomed her in, but in my human heart, I had doubts that there's anything good that can come out of this. She walks in, looks around, everybody around her is from the same background. So she starts asking them, how did you come to follow Jesus? And one guy said, well, <laughs> I was going through a rough time in my life, and then I saw Jesus in the dream in my dream multiple times and in one dream I was actually drowning and Jesus reached to me and pulled me out of the water and said follow me so I start following him she asked another person how did you come to follow Jesus he said well I was a drug dealer when I was 16 years old and at age 18 I was thrown in jail and then when I was released Jesus found me and I start following him she asked everybody she said she listened and then she left I thought I will never see her again next Sunday there was a knock on the door. And as I went to open the door there, she was standing at the door. <laughs> she said, I want to tell you, I'm only here for this Sunday. I'm never coming back again. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> she never missed the meeting. She started experiencing the presence of Jesus. And before we knew it, she made a 180 degree turn and she decided to put her life in Jesus' hands and she started praying in the name of Jesus. Around Easter time, I was talking about Peter, and after she came to my wife, Joanna, and she said, you know, I feel I'm like Peter. I denied Jesus. I turned my back on him, but he never left me. And my wife said to her, yeah, just like in Peter's story, it's not over. God is not done. Sure enough, a few weeks after that, she came and she said, I, I feel like God is calling me to be, she struggled to find the word. She's like, what, what do you call it? Uh, a missionera. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? She said, I, I want to tell people about Jesus. And before we know it, she started her own social media and she had these 15 women that she's sharing Christ with. She started talking to people in her neighborhood and her friends. And this last summer, she went back home to her country and she could not keep her mouth shut. 
She told members of her family about her Savior. She said, I have faith that one day they will be in the kingdom. Friends, this is what an encounter with the risen Jesus can do to her. Not only did Jesus give her a new identity, but he also gave her meaning and purpose in life. In Christ, we die to our old self as he gives us a new identity. We die to our earthly story as he calls us into his kingdom purpose. And as brothers and sisters who have been commissioned by Christ, we can't expect a life full of glory, virtue, and divine power because he has granted us everything that we need to live a godly life. We can expect to do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We can expect him to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us. So Alliance family, let us not lose heart, but let us hold on fast to Jesus. Because who he is and what he has done defines our identity and propels us to live a life of expectancy as we fulfill the mission that he has called us to do. Amen.